For the last two weeks, India's farmers have converged on the highways into Delhi, camping out and blocking traffic over a series of new agriculture laws. Thousands of farmers continue to block roads into the capital, Delhi, protesting agricultural reforms that they say will leave them at the mercy of big corporations. Those protests culminating in this nationwide strike by farmers, which has led to more disruption. They're blocking main roads and plan to stay until their demands are met. The new laws open up India's agricultural sector to the free market and, farmers say, to potential exploitation. We always suspected the government's intention and always will because the government has become a slave of the corporations. They want to turn us into their slaves as well. Farmers bypass police barricades, tear gas and water cannons to block three key highways into Delhi. The government has offered to amend the laws, but the farmers are standing firm. They say they'll continue their blockade until the government meets their demands. And as time goes on, the protests are only intensifying. These crowds are growing at the Singu border crossing between the states of Haryana and Delhi. And so too is their resolve to occupy this national highway. Equipped with food, they're here for the long haul. With enough supplies to last weeks, the growers are threatening to besiege the capital if Prime Minister Narendra Modi refuses to abolish the laws. So why do farmers see these laws as such a threat to their livelihoods? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. To find out why thousands of farmers have left their homes during a pandemic to camp out on the road, we spoke to Al Jazeera's India correspondent, Elizabeth Peranam. She's been covering the protest movement. We are at the Singu border crossing uh, between Haryana and Delhi, and the numbers here are just getting bigger and bigger with each passing day. Elizabeth, we are catching you quite late in Delhi today. What has your day been like? Have you been out at the protests? I have been out at the protests, and it has been a busy day, as it has every day for the last more than 10 days of these protests. We started at the smallest protest site, which is called the Ghazipur border, where around 2,000 farmers are staging a sit-in protest, which has seen all traffic coming from that side into Delhi completely stopped. That's just one of the sites where farmers have staged their protest. But farmers across India's grain belt protested back in September when the laws were initially passed. Blocking roads and railway lines, they're demanding that three bills already approved by Parliament are not signed into law. Protesters called for a statewide strike and burned effigies of government officials. Then, on November 26, after the winter harvest, they left their farms for a march to Delhi, pushing past police to get to their intended target. Using their tractors to remove police barricades, Farmers rode victoriously on their way to the capital region of Delhi. When the farmers started moving from Punjab in Haryana, and they were moving peacefully, they were met with water cannon, with tear gas, and police charging them with batons. And that is when we saw some really incredible pictures of farmers lifting up police barricades and throwing them over bridges, farmers bringing their tractors to remove concrete barricades, 
and using their trucks to move shipping containers while facing water cannon and tear gas. So police really tried uh, with force to stop these farmers from coming to Delhi. And after two days of this, we had what we thought was a breakthrough and a concession because police said, okay, fine, you can come to Delhi. We have designated a ground on the outskirts of Delhi, a huge ground for you to go and to protest there. We were on our way there, my team and I, to the protest site when we heard that this was happening. So we rerouted went to the protest ground expecting the farmers to come. Now, we waited and we waited and we waited. And I think after about five hours, we thought, where are these farmers? And that's when we heard that farmers decided that after the police let them into Delhi, they said no, because their aim was to march to central Delhi to be seen and heard. And it wasn't good enough to go to a protest ground on the outskirts of the city. And that's when they decided they were going to stay put on these key highways, block them, cause as much disruption as possible until the government repeals these laws. And that's what the farmers have been doing. Elizabeth set the scene for us. All of these protests, there's a huge police and paramilitary presence. They're fully armed. So you go through that, and then you go through police barricades, and then through all the barbed wire where you get to where the tens of thousands of protesters are. There's always a stage with a constant stream of speakers. There's hundreds, if not more, people sitting in front of the speakers. When you go past that is when you get to these huge tents with massive kitchens the biggest pots that you'll ever see, and people cooking food to feed everyone that's there. You see hundreds of men sitting around peeling vegetables all day to cook the meals, to feed thousands of people. And everyone is being fed, and it's not just the farmers who are there. I've seen um, commuters who are stranded by the highway being closed who are walking through with their bags, stop and get some food. All the homeless people, all the rubbish collectors, Everybody is fed. So that's this sort of community kitchen scene. And after you go past that, you see the hundreds of trucks which have been converted into temporary shelters with farmers lining them with mattresses and people sitting, drinking chai, constantly offering you chai when you walk past, playing cards, reading newspapers. And uh, they take turns either sleeping inside the trucks, some of them sleep under the trucks. And then when you get a little bit further away, away from prying eyes, you see the water containers which are there, which farmers are using to bathe while they're out there. So this sounds like a festive, almost joyous environment, even though it is a protest. But the last time we had you on the take, we were talking about the biggest lockdown in the world because of the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic. And since we are still in a pandemic, is that a concern? Are people wearing masks? What is the thinking around that? So this is a concern because, of course, there's a pandemic and there are tens of thousands of people. There is no social distancing and uh, absolutely no one is wearing a mask. And whenever I ask people if they're concerned about the coronavirus, the answer I get is, no, actually, we have bigger problems right now. We are facing a threat to our livelihoods. And so that's really, that's really not our concern. The new laws upend the way India's farmers have sold their produce. 
So the reason why they are here, why they are sleeping out uh, in the cold Delhi winter when temperatures have been dropping, is because they are against three laws, three farm laws, which the Indian government passed in September. Taken together, what farmers fear these laws will mean is an end of minimum support prices for their produce that they've had assurances of for decades. And they fear that that will happen because these new laws will give private companies, including some of the world's you know, largest corporations like Walmart, like Tesco, and some of India's biggest corporations, unfettered, unregulated access to the Indian market will allow those companies to dictate prices. That's not good for farmers. The protesting farmers say the rules were written to benefit big companies and that this could be a fundamental threat to an industry that more than half of Indians live on. And so farmers see these laws as an existential threat uh, to them, to their livelihoods. The agriculture sector in India has been in crisis for decades for a number of reasons. And actually, everyone agrees that it needs reforms. But farmers say these reforms are not in their interests. And that's why they've left their farms, marched hundreds of kilometers to Delhi and are sleeping out in the cold, they say, until the government repeals these three farm laws. So the government presumably is saying that this will give farmers more freedom. Have they explained why they think these reforms are the ones that are necessary? That is exactly what the government is saying. We heard from Prime Minister Narendra Modi after the first uh, few days of these protests. And he maintained the government's line that these reforms are in the interest of farmers by giving farmers access to, you know, these really big markets and saying, how can it be a bad thing to let farmers negotiate directly with private companies and remove the middlemen that are in government procurement centers, that these reforms are good for farmers. And that's what it has uh, maintained all along. But the problem is that farmers say that um, they know what's in their interest and that these laws were passed without any consultation with farmers. They say they were pushed through parliament without uh, proper debate with opposition parties and with a voice vote instead of actually taking a paper ballot, which opposition MPs say is much more accurate when people actually vote on a ballot rather than having a voice vote in a charged atmosphere where there was a lot of yelling and a lot of protest. The debate over the bills has been intense. In the days before the vote, a senior minister resigned from the cabinet announcing that she was proud to stand with farmers. But Prime Minister Narendra Modi has continued to back the laws, saying, For the first time, farmers have got actual rights over their produce. The reforms in agriculture will benefit small and marginal farmers the most. There are 85 out of 100 farmers in the country that belong to this category. But some people, like this activist Elizabeth spoke with, worry that the farmers don't have enough power to hold their own against big corporations. The government is essentially saying that we uh, don't want to be protecting you anymore by regulating the market. You can interface with the markets all by yourselves. And uh, let's see what happens. Fend for yourselves. 
So I think one of the things that's really stuck with me in covering the story is the amount of anger that is being felt by farmers about what they're going through. Because although there is such a sense of community and openness to anyone who supports their cause, there is also a real underlying anger. We saw a group of farmers burning an effigy of uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi, which in India is actually a really extreme thing to do, is to burn an effigy. And the farmer was saying, Prime Minister Modi says that these laws are in the interest of farmers. Are we crazy to be sitting out on the streets for months? We are farmers. We know what's best for us. Besides wanting a repeal of the laws, Elizabeth says the farmers at the protests are tied together by something else. They are young and old. They are rich and poor. You have some farmers who speak fluent English and some who don't speak anything other than Punjabi. But what they all have in common is they say that they are in debt. And so despite the fact that these are some of the most well-to-do farmers in India, they are all in debt. They know people who are in debt. And they know people who have killed themselves because they are in debt. And the issue of farmers' suicide is actually a really big one in India. I find the numbers astounding. More than 300,000 Indian farmers have killed themselves in the past 25 years because they are in debt. As farmers struggle with low prices for their produce, they also have to pay increasing costs for things like electricity and fuel. And while some borrow money for seeds and equipment, climate change has led to unpredictable harvests, creating this debt cycle. India's agriculture sector has been in crisis and India has been increasingly seeing extreme weather patterns, at least over the last 10 years, possibly more because of climate change, with more and more severe droughts or or floods which wipe out crops. All of this leads to farmers incurring debts which they're not able to pay back. And there are few farmers who don't know someone who hasn't killed themselves because they are in debt and cannot see a way out of it. This desperation is why farmers have said they're ready to protest for as long as they need. We have enough facilities to cook and eat and arrange for our stay. We only want the laws to be rolled back and to go back home happy. If it's not done, then we will continue to protest, be it for six months or a year. On Wednesday, the government offered to give in on some of the farmers' demands. They said they'd assured the farmers, in writing, that minimum prices would stay. But the farmers say that's not enough. Right now... A breakthrough doesn't look likely, and that's because the two sides, the government and farmers, disagree not just on what's in the laws, but what to do about the laws themselves. Farmers are saying that because the laws are so fundamentally flawed, that they were created without consultation with farmers, that they were pushed through parliament, and that that they are written to favor large corporations, that nothing short of repealing these laws will do. The government has indicated that it's willing to amend them, but that's not good enough for farmers. This is not a government which backs down, but it is facing farmers 
who are the backbone of an agriculture sector which employs half of the country and who have, for the first time, blocked three key highways into the Indian capital and are threatening to block even more highways. The government can't use force, they can't use water cannon and tear gas against tens of thousands uh, of protesters who are blocking key highways. And that is what makes this a complete standoff. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nikin Oliai with Alexandra Locke, Oni Wohachap, Dina Kisve, Priyanka Tilve, Ney Alvarez, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is our head of audio. We'll be back on Monday.